Good morning in Gaudete. Rejoice, rejoice. It was Gaudete Sunday yesterday. We are in the third week of Advent. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. I'm Adam Wright with you here on Covenant Network. It is, uh, we're rejoicing today, not just because of Gaudete Sunday, but because we're together with you on this beautiful Monday morning. Let us begin our morning together in prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. Hail and blessed be the hour and moment in which the Son of God was born of the most pure Virgin Mary at midnight in Bethlehem in the piercing cold. In that hour vouchsafe we beseech thee, O God, to hear our prayer and grant our desires through the merits of our Savior Jesus Christ and of his blessed Mother. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions this day to the greater glory of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It is so good to be with you today. I have to say, last night, it was so good to be with a, a just a smattering of men. I think there were probably about 100 of us gathered for the uh, South St. Louis City, uh, South County Advent tailgate. And, uh, you know, we had, I, I think there, at last count, there were about nine fire pits going, a big barbecue grill going with brats and hot dogs and hamburgers, um, some great fellowship meeting men from all over the region. Uh, but most wonderfully, uh, Father Charlie Archer from the Archdiocese of St. Louis came out and gave us a reflection, a beautiful reflection for the men on what it means to be the protector of the home in a world of chaos. And then, uh, you know, most poignant was at the end of the evening when we gathered in church to pray Compline or night prayer together. There's just something so edifying for me about being with a large group of men to pray. No disrespect to the ladies. I love praying with you as well. But as a guy, you know, every now and then it's just very uplifting to get together with other men and have some manly bonding time. Um, you know, so that was a, a great thing over the weekend. On the show today, we're going to have Martin Oni Monday. We're going to continue our questions that Protestants can't answer. We're also going to be joined by Father Kirby, who's normally with us on Tuesdays, but because of Radiothon tomorrow, uh, we moved him up to today. We're going to be talking about the Jesse tree. And then I am very excited. We're going to have Dr. Edward Shree from uh, the Augustine Institute one of the co-founders of Focus. He'll be at the SEEK conference here in St. Louis in January. He's going to be joining us later in the show as well. That's all ahead on today's episode of Roadmap to Heaven. So let's get to it. Let us go now to Mike Roberts for today's weather. Today is the feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Born in Mexico in 1474, Juan Diego and his wife, Maria Lucia, were among the first to be baptized by 12 Franciscans who arrived in 1524. But five years later, Maria Lucia died, and for the next two years, Juan Diego continued his humble and devout journey while living with and caring for his uncle. On the morning of December 9, 1531, he was making his way to Mass when he heard an unusually beautiful sound, which he said resembled the sound of singing birds. Juan then sees a radiant cloud on a hill near Tepayac, and inside the cloud, a beautiful woman who looks like an Aztec princess. Speaking to Juan in his native language, she tells him she is the Virgin Mary and that she wants him to tell the bishop 
Juan de Zumaraga to build a chapel at the site so that she will have a place to hear the petitions and the suffering of those who come to her. Juan does as he is told, but the bishop is not convinced. When he returns to Tepayac, the Blessed Mother sends him back to see the bishop a second time. By now, he is growing frustrated, so he tells Juan he wants the Blessed Mother to send a sign. Juan intends to return the next morning, but when he gets home, he finds his uncle is very sick. For the next two days, Juan cares for his uncle, who is nearing death. Heading out to find a priest, he encounters the Blessed Mother for a third time. Afraid and sad, Juan tells her everything that has happened. She responds by saying, Am I not your mother? Are you not in the crossing of my arms? So Juan asks for a sign to bring to the bishop. Mary tells him to climb to Payak, where he will find flowers to give to the bishop. Because it is December, Juan is skeptical. But when he arrives, he does indeed find flowers more beautiful than he has ever seen. Putting them in his tilma, he carries them to the bishop. The bishop, having now waited for two days, is more skeptical than ever. Juan opens his tilma and out flow the beautiful flowers onto the floor. Astonished, the bishop then sees that on Juan's tilma is an image of a native princess and under her feet, a great crescent moon. The message is clear. She is more powerful than the Aztec gods, yet she herself is not God. She also appears to Juan's sick uncle, saying she wants to be known as Santa Marie de Guadalupe. The bishop has the temple built, and nearly 500 years later, the tilma and the image of Our Lady remain intact. Our Lady of Guadalupe, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. We all know that great commandment that our Lord gives us, love your neighbor. And I'll tell you, one of the reasons I love my neighbor is because I hate gardening and he loves gardening. And a few years ago, he planted a vine and all of a sudden that vine grew up the side of his house and grew across the trellis and was on the arbors and everywhere in the gangway between our houses. There was a vine and I can't tell you how many branches there are. I bring that up because with John Martinoni these past few weeks, we've been talking about questions Protestants can't answer because the deeper we go and the closer we get to the truth, the more Catholic we become in our answers. And John, this week we're actually going to talk about the vine and the branches because another quote from our Lord, I am the vine, you are the branches. And just as I've seen my neighbor out there trimming branches off the vine, John, I think the question for us is, if Jesus is the vine and we're the branches, can I be cut off from the vine? Exactly. That is indeed the question of the moment, Adam. I like to take, this is obviously referring to the Protestant dogma, which is not a universal Protestant dogma or doctrine, of once saved, always saved. It's an offshoot or a corollary of salvation by faith alone, which again, that in itself is not a universal Protestant doctrine. It's closed, but not every Protestant believes in salvation by faith alone. But this, this corollary of it, once saved, always saved, that once you've been saved, once you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior, once you've said a sinner's prayer, once you've answered an altar call, that you are saved, and by golly, there is nothing that can get you unsaved. You have punched your ticket on the train, and you are on the train to heaven, and nothing can derail that train. Well, that's a doctrine 
that is contrary to Scripture. I mean, direct, not even indirectly contrary, directly contrary. Because here in, in John 15, verses 1 through 6, which is where you're quoting from, it talks about Jesus is the vine, and he says to his, his disciples there, you are the branches. And he tells them to abide in me. Well, uh, that, that word abide, it's an ongoing thing. You know, he's telling them, stay in me, stay with me, which means uh, there's obviously the possibility that you won't abide in him. But he, in this passage, John 15, 1 through 6, in verse 6 it says, if a man does not abide in me, in other words, if he doesn't bear much fruit, as it says in verse 5, he is cast forth as a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Well, if you're a branch of the vine, and the vine is Jesus Christ, you cannot be joined to Jesus Christ, and this is, Protestant theology says this, you cannot be joined to the vine as a branch unless you've been saved, as Protestant theology would say, unless you're a Christian, which means you're saved, and if you're saved and you believe in once saved, always saved, then you can't be cut off from the vine, which is Christ. But right here it says if you don't abide in Jesus, if you don't produce good fruit, which we would say good works, then you are cut off from the vine, you are cast forth as a branch, you will wither, which obviously spiritually, it means you spiritually die, and then you will be gathered and thrown into the fire and burn. And the fire here is obviously an analogy for the fires of hell, or Gehenna, as, as Jesus says throughout the New Testament. So, yes, you know, if you are a branch of the vine, you can be cut off from Christ. So this whole doctrine of once saved, always saved, it is not good doctrine. It is a false doctrine. It is contrary to the very plain meaning and teaching of Scripture. So if they believe in once saved, always saved, I always take people to John 15, verses 1 through 6, and the first thing I ask them is, are the branches Christians or non-Christians? And they'll say Christians. I'll say, well, then can a branch be cut off? And they usually answer no, unless they realize I'm about to step into a trap. And again, and as you said, it's, it's not a trap to trap somebody to prove I'm right and you're wrong or to anything like It's to plant a seed, a seed of the truth that will hopefully make them think and maybe one day find their way with the help of the Holy Spirit into the Catholic Church. I always like to have a good reminder on the importance of making a good confession, because as John and I have been discussing, the branch being cut off, if you commit a mortal sin, just look down at your hands, because you have the pruning shears that just cut the branch from the vine. But here's the good news. Uh, as much as I was amazed in science class that you can actually graft a branch back onto a vine, our Lord is the divine physician, and he is the master gardener who can put you pretty much right back on that vine as well if you go to him with a humble and contrite spirit in the sacrament of reconciliation. So that's a good reminder for you and for me. And John, I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us these past few weeks, getting us started on these questions that Protestants can't answer. And I look forward to our next time together. Until then, if you'd like more from the Bible Christian Society, where John Martinoni is the founder and president, you can just go to BibleChristianSociety.com. That's BibleChristianSociety.com.
Prayer to the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the apostles by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us in this same Spirit to be truly wise, and ever rejoice in his consolation, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Joining us all the way from Indian Land, South Carolina, Our Lady of Grace Parish is Father Jeffrey Kirby. Father, it's good to have you back with us on Roadmap to Heaven today. Thank you, Adam. Good to be on the show. Now, the last time we spoke, I mentioned that the decorations are slowly starting to go up around the right house, and one of the ones that's now making its way up but not fully decorated is our Christmas tree. And full disclosure, we're a fake tree family because we have really bad allergies, and and one of the customs we love is as our friends and relatives and loved ones send us Christmas cards, we punch holes in them and we tie a little ribbon around the card and hang that from the tree so that as we get closer and closer to Christmas, our home becomes decorated with the love and the uh, tidings of our friends. But that's not the tree we're here to talk about today. Um, (laughs) We're here to talk about the Jesse tree, which is a tree I actually don't know much about other than from the scripture, a shoot shall spring forth from Jesse. So, Father, what's going on here today? Actually, Adam, um, your, your lead-in actually really does fit very well with the Jesse tree because as you described how family and friends bring ornaments and and you, you know, put, place them on your tree and so on. And, and so your your eventual Christmas tree is, is very much surrounded by the love of family and friends. That is very much related to the Jesse tree. Uh, the Jesse tree is, is, is a great Advent custom. Uh, it used to be very popular. It, it, it's kind of waned. I'm trying to bring it back. I see there's some really great resources uh, for young families about the Jesse tree from some of our Catholic publishers. And I want to promote that because the Jesse tree is basically a creative way of giving the genealogy of Jesus. Now, we've all been there where, you know, the genealogy is read and it's so-and-so is the father, so-and-so, the father, so-and-so, the father, so-and-so. And and it's like, okay, can we hurry this up? Do you know? And, And of course, I think it's interesting that the church gives us that reading for the first mass of Christmas which just shows that sometimes it's good to have pastors involved in these liturgical decisions because that's usually the mass where all the kids are, right? You know, and we have this extension of ge- genealogy of Jesus, you know. But that genealogy is very important, you know, and and of course it shows us that, you know, when the, the anointed Savior came to us, when 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 the Lord was was brought to us, uh, He came uh, through, for, you know, from a mother, from a family that He He had grandparents and great grandparents, and He would have heard Joseph and Mary talk about, you know, His forebears and so on, that He was fully human. And, and when I think about it in terms of the adult version, is when we look at the genealogy, we see that Jesus had some really interesting characters in His genealogy. Some some real scoundrels, right, and public sinners, you know, which is interesting because even Jesus's family w- was dysfunctional, right, you know, so, and that should give us hope, right, where we look at our families and say, oh, man, there's so much brokenness, there's so much difficulty, and, and yet we look at, at the Lord's genealogy and we see it. So so the Jesse tree is a way of, of breaking down the genealogy. It, it makes it more engaging, children-friendly, approachable for children to understand. It just tells the story of Jesus from his lineage, so what are some of the components of this? Because, I mean, I think of the Advent wreath. We we have the candles on the table. We light the candles each night. Our family likes to light them at supper time. Uh, we also have a little wooden one that we give to the youngest kids, when they, especially when they were preschoolers. Like, here, you can use this because we're not giving you fire. <laughs> but what, what are some of the things that we would be putting on this Jesse tree then to recall the lineage? 
you mentioned uh, in, in your own family about receiving these ornaments from family and friends. I will say uh, there are variations to the Jesse tree. And, and I'll say to any young family who's listening, uh, if you have one version and you want to simplify, that's great. If you have never done the Jesse tree, just to realize that there are different ways. So if you come across one, you seem this seems really complicated. Then there are, are, are uh, other variations. And again, some really creative people have have broken down even the Jesse tree to make it more more approachable. But basically, you can imagine making an ornament for Jesus' genealogy, and then throughout the season of Advent, the story is told. So you can imagine we you know we talk about David and and his father Jesse. So you know the root of Jesse, and then we describe how you know oh Jesus was of the tribe of Judah, and we describe Judah and so on. And we so it, it's basically the retelling, and you can place the little ornaments on the Jesse tree, where eventually you're creating the whole genealogy of the Lord, so that by the time you get to Christmas. Uh, the genealogy is completed. So that's the whole idea. And and I've seen some very thorough <laughs> Jesse trees. Well, it's like, wow, okay. And I've seen some very um, broader traditions of the Jesse tree. And again, whatever works for a family, and sometimes maybe you go broader with the young children and then more specific with older children and so on, so be it. But I think that as long as the story is being told, because you know, I, I think it's regrettable, Adam, when we have Christian children who can tell us all the reindeer of Santa Claus, but they don't know Bethlehem, Judah, David, Gabriel. They don't know the basic lineage or the basic story from which the Lord Jesus came to us. And, and I think we can do better with that. And the Jesse tree can be a part of that for a young family or for a Christian family in general. I think that's a fantastic idea. Now, Father, one of the things that so often we will say things like, we all trace our lineage back to our first parents, Adam and Eve. But when we talk about the lineage of our Lord going back to David in that, that Davidic line, and that actually, if I remember correctly, doesn't that line continue through to St. Joseph? So this is not just some abstract pie in the sky, oh, we're all children of, of Abraham. Well, no, Joseph's line you can actually trace back to David. Absolutely, very much. And, and you know, not, not to confuse any listeners, but we're, we're not exactly sure of the tribal identity of Our Lady. Uh, we are pretty sure that she was of Judah. It's possible that she was of the tribe of Levi. But in either case, in terms of Our Lady, the lineage of tribal identity would have gone to a son from his father. And, and let me clarify that in the Jewish tradition, adoption was not prominent. Adoption was very popular in the Roman society, but not in Judaism. In, in the Jewish culture, when a man claimed a child on the eighth day by naming him, that child was his son. That's it. There was no foster father, adopted father. We use these terms theologically in order to emphasize that, you know, God is, was our Lord's father, that Joseph, you know, never had relations with Our Lady. But but these terms really didn't exist in Jewish culture. And, and I stress that because by the law of Moses, Jesus was a son of Joseph. Joseph was, as, as you're saying, Adam, a direct descendant of David. Like, in fact, you can look at the lineage and give it to us point by point by point by point. And so when Joseph names Jesus on the eighth day, when he's being circumcised, when the Lord's being circumcised, that's it. Like his lineage is, is the tribe of David. Now, he may have gotten that from both parents, but from the law of Moses, it was from his father. It had to come from the father. You know, we say the, the child received the, the uh, identity from Abraham, from Abraham through the mother, but the identity of the tribe through the father, you know, and there are practical reasons for that. But yes, I mean, we can look at it. And, and Joseph was very much uh, a son of David, as was the Lord Jesus. Out in the middle of the desert, 
Different desert, though. Out in Tonopah, Arizona, uh, the poor clares of perpetual adoration have a monastery, Our Lady of the Solitude Monastery. And in the sanctuary, the statue of St. Joseph is actually wearing a crown. And we asked them about that, and they, they said that's because his lineage traces back to King David and, and wow. to Jesse. And so we decided we're commissioning the statue. We can give them a crown. I'm not going to argue with them on that. <laughs> and I love that. That's yeah. great. Well, this is, you know, this is really insightful. And maybe, Father, the uh, the lesson for us, in addition to doing the Jesse Tree custom at home, and, you know, if, if nothing else, look it up online and find what works for you and your family. It's an invitation to sit down with that lineage before Christmas Eve Mass and, and actually read that together as a family and see that lineage going back. Amen. Absolutely. I want to really encourage that so that, you know, if children have the popular stories of Christmas, so be it. But more importantly, that they know the sacred story of the background, the descendants of, of our Lord. So absolutely. Beautiful. Father, could I ask you to close our time together with a prayer? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your son, true son of Jesse, true son of David. We ask that you continue to work out your salvation in the midst of the human family. We seek you. We desire to do your will. May you bless us, lift us up. We ask these and all good things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Well, Father Kirby, we want to thank you for uh, breaking open the Jesse Tree tradition for us today here on Roadmap to Heaven. And we wish you and all of your parishioners at Our Lady of Grace a blessed Advent. All right. Thank you, Adam. God bless you. Prayer before a crucifix. Good and sweetest Jesus, before thy face I humbly kneel. And with the greatest fervor of spirit, I pray and beseech thee to fix deep in my heart lively sentiments of faith, hope, and charity, true sorrow for my sins, and a firm purpose of amendment, while I consider thy five most precious wounds, having before my eyes the words of David the prophet concerning thee, my Jesus. They have pierced my hands and my feet. They have numbered all my bones. We are continuing to get ready for the SEEK conference here in St. Louis at the beginning of next year. In fact, here at Covenant Network, we are actually packing the boxes that we're going to be taking to the convention center and getting them ready to go on the truck to the warehouse where everything has to go. It's a logistical wonderland, honestly. It's, I, I'm amazed at all the things that go into making a conference like this happen. One of the things I'm really excited about is this Making Missionary Disciples track. It's something I'm looking forward to. I know a lot of my friends here in St. Louis and beyond are looking forward Forward to this. And we're so happy to have with us on Roadmap to Heaven today Dr. Edward Sree, a founding leader with Curtis Martin of Focus, and he currently serves as Vice President of Formation. He's a theologian, an author, a well known Catholic speaker. You've heard him. You've heard of him. You, you know who I'm talking about. Dr. Sree, it's so good to have you with us today. Thanks for having me. So, We've been getting ready for this, and we've talked about what missionary disciples are and why it's important for us to go out there and get involved in our parishes. What we really haven't jumped into yet, though, is, you know, we're running out of days here to sign up for this Making Missionary Disciples track. What can our listeners expect when they show up at the convention center on January 2nd? Well, I think if you're a parent and you care about the next generation, you want to form your children in the faith, maybe you're somebody that volunteers at your parish, you serve in some ministry there, whether it's RCIA or leading Bible studies, maybe you are in a small group, uh, maybe you're just a layperson that just you just care a lot about your parish and your diocese, and you want to see 
your parish or diocese on fire with the Catholic faith and uh, and the joy of the gospel, or maybe you actually work in the church. We have, we're going to have any Catholic school teachers and people that are working in parishes and priests. This is an amazing experience for you, the Making Missionary Disciples conf, uh, track at Seek. Uh, so we did this way back in 2019, 2020, when we were in Phoenix. We had about 1,600 people from all over the country coming to, to get practical training in what is discipleship and what is evangelization and not in a in like Protestant ways, maybe, you know, we, we admire what our Protestant brothers and sisters do, their love for the gospel, but there's a very Catholic way that we share our faith. That's very natural. It's organic. It's in, it's, you know, we could do it right in our own homes. We could do it right with our own children, with our own friends, our coworkers, and we do it formally in parish settings or in small group settings, youth group settings, things like that. And so what this track is doing is trying to bring together people that really care about their faith and they desire to share it with others. They desire to see others really be blessed by the joy of our Catholic faith and the gospel. So in our day today, there's so much talk about discipleship. You know, all these parishes now have positions, you know, the director of discipleship or director of evangelization. It can become almost like a buzzword sometimes. And that's my concern. I think these are powerful words from our church and from the scriptures but I want to make sure we really understand what they mean and practically what does it look like in real life, you know, you know, not just for a professional, but just ordinary Joe in Pew 16. I want to really make sure that the faith is passed on to my children, to my grandchildren, and that it sticks. Because in our very secular culture where there's so many forces that are pulling people away from basic Christian values, <laughs> the, the basics of our faith. And even just as Pope Benedict once said, the art of living, the basics of just how to live life. We don't know how to live friendship, dating relationships for young people, marriage. We don't know how to raise children well. How do you build a good Catholic culture in the home? There, there's so many forces at our secular age that are pulling people away from Christ and from the church. How do I make sure that the faith really does stick and it pa is passed on from generation to generation? And that's the responsibility of every ordinary Catholic. That's not just the job for, for father and, and the sisters and the deacons. Oh, that's all of, all of us are called to do it, but practically, how do I do that? We're going to go through practical training in the church's vision for evangelization discipleship for ordinary lay Catholics. So whether you work in the church or you're just an ordinary, you're, you're a mom at home, you're a dad coaching soccer, whatever it is. God has a plan for you to be part of his mission to pass on the faith and help have an impact in the culture. Now, I can't help but notice one word you did not include in that list is theologian. You don't have to be a theologian to be a disciple. And that's something coming from you, uh, Doctor, because you are a theologian. You teach. Uh, your work with the Augustan Institute is well known. But really, at its core, anyone who can follow our Lord can be a disciple, whether you're the smartest in the room or not. You can follow. And we better, we better be following. You know, just because I'm a theologian doesn't make me a disciple. I need to be a disciple first. That's that's a key point. Pope Francis has emphasized that you have to really encounter Christ and live deeply your faith before you can share it with, with others. Again, in the workplace, in the parish, with your own kids at home, you got to really live it deeply. So you asked earlier about like what would happen. You know, you come down to the convention center, you come to seek, uh, you're going to be, first of all, you're going to be wowed by being around 15,000 other college, like young people. You're going to see so many young people that are on fire with their faith. They love Jesus. They go to confession and, and many conversions happening. You're going to hear keynotes from amazing speakers. Many of you know Father Michael Schmidt, right? Father Mike Schmidt, 
you know, Bible in a year, and he's so famous on YouTube. And you'll get to actually see him present live in person. You'll hear from Sister Bethany Madonna, Sister Miriam, Curtis Martin, uh, so many great Catholic speakers on the main stage. That's the keynotes that happen every night during Seek. And then you can come together with 15,000 other people and have mass together in the mornings. But then when the college students are going to their track, so they'll have all these topics related to young people, there's going to be the other track that we're talking about here, the Making Missionary Disciples track. And again, we have thousands of people that come that are not college students. Uh, there are people in their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, their 60s. They come from all kinds of walks of life. And they'll come to their track and they'll have like a, sessions that cast the vision about the, the church's vision on how to pass on the faith effectively in a secular age. How do we make sure the faith sticks? You know, uh, how do we make sure it, it grows and multiplies in people's lives? But then we're going to have also breakout sessions. So you'll, they'll all come together for their main talks in the Making Mystery Disciples track. But then there's breakout sessions. Let's say oh, they're involved in Bible study groups so they can learn how to how to lead a small group. Or maybe there's, someone's involved in RCIA uh, and they can learn, okay, how do you how do you do RCIA really well? We, we, we partner with great catechetical leaders, experts around the country that are have, have many years of experience in diocesan and parish ministry. We'll have tracks on, for example, like if you do sacramental prep, like so, how do you how do you use sacramental prep as an opportunity to evangelize the parents? Not just form the kids well, but as a great chance to evangelize mom and dad. You know, when they can bring their kids, there'll be tracks for marriage. You know, like how do you live marriage? In fact, my wife and I we're going to be doing one of those tracks. We're giving a talk called "The Good, the Messy, and the Beautiful: The Joys and Struggles of Real Married Life." We're going to talk about marriage is hard; it's demanding, and uh, and it's also really beautiful. And, and what, how do you meet Jesus in the midst of the little? struggles and trials and messiness of marriage and family life. There'll be talks on how do you find time to pray? You know, if you're 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 raising a family, you're growing your career, how do you build your faith life in the midst of the pressures of just responsibility of family and career? And how do you, how do you balance all that? The, so anyway, there'll be talks for enrichment, talks for ministry. And the biggest thing is it's not just talks. We also give opportunities for hands-on practical training. So that you can actually put into practice with people in your little small group at the Making Missionary Disciples track, uh, you can put into practice some of the the tools that uh, that the experts will be sharing with you. Shameless plug here: after you hear all of these great ideas, and after we've prayed at the mass and an adoration, you can also come check out the great resources on Mission Way and hang out with folks like Covenant Network. That's where where we're going to be with many exhibitors. And uh, you know, I have to say, we call the show Roadmap to Heaven. When I saw the map of Mission Way and all of the vendors that are going to be there and other groups like us, I need a roadmap to Mission Way. I mean, that that's the plain reality <laughs> of it. Before we let you go, Doctor Shree, I'd love to ask this: you've been involved with Focus since the beginning. And I mean, it has just grown and grown and grown over the years. What's one of those stories that sticks out to you? I mean, how have you, we're learning a little bit of the lingo, this term glory story, but what's one of the ways God has just jumped out through this ministry during your time with Focus? I'm going to tell you two stories, one from the very beginning and one that's happening right now. Okay. So at the very beginning of Focus, I was teaching at Benedictine College. That was my full-time job. Uh, Curtis Martin, my dear friend, he's the one that had the vision of focus, had him come out to come meet our students. They were excited, about a handful of 20 students. But at the time, Benedictine College, even though today it's known as one of the top Catholic colleges in the country, back then, 
it was known as Central Party School. And it, there wasn't a lot happening with Faith Life, just a small group. And what we did in those early days is we started Bible studies. And by the end of the first semester, we had maybe 70 people involved in Bible studies. And it just started kind of growing. And then when we came back the next semester, I challenged the students, the student leaders, there were seven student leaders, to make a commitment for six weeks to pray, to go to daily mass for six weeks. They had a 9.30 mass on campus at night. And then stay after mass and go before the Blessed Sacrament and pour your heart out to Jesus to pray that, that there'll be conversions on this campus. There'll be conversions on the football team, on the drama department, in the in the theater department, you know, and in the student government, like all, you know, like they named all different parts of the campus. They were praying for conversions, praying that people would turn away from the, the intense drunkenness culture that was there and a lot of the unchastity that was there and, and commit themselves to really follow Jesus in these things. And they they did that for six weeks every night. And the prayers came true. I mean, they all they all were fulfilled. I mean, I watched in the next four months conversions on the football team, in the drama department. And, and you just saw all these people committing themselves to Christ, standing up and wanting to evangelize others. It, it was like we, we prayed and fasted for all that. And then it happened. Like, right. It was like the most tangible experience of grace. I was blessed to be a part of in any ministry I've 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 been able to do be a part with of so so I'm so thankful for what the Lord did and and most people would say Benedictine College its transformation has its roots back in those early days of Focus what Focus was doing there so thanks be to God for that but but I would say what we're starting to see now is that kind of transformation happening in parishes so I don't know if people know but Focus serves on 22 parishes where we send missionaries to. We also coach priests and parish leaders around the country and in, in evangelization. But we actually have about 22 parishes that we have boots on the ground at. And I've been and I've visited these parishes and it's amazing. Most parishes have just like ministries and they're excited when people come to the ministry. That's not the real standard of success is a thousand people came to the parish mission and heard the speaker. I mean, that's great. Praise the Lord for that. But real success is I want to know, tell me about those thousand people. How many of them walk out and go deeper in prayer? How many of them walk out and start sharing their faith and evangelizing others and leading others to Christ? Because that's what Jesus did. He chose 12. And it wasn't just like, hey, we had a nice party with me and the 12. He sent those 12 out. I want to know how effective are those thousand people that came to the parish mission in going out. And so what we're seeing in, in, in the parishes where we're serving, we're seeing amazing things happening. Ordinary Catholics, people who are pilots, they're doctors, they're businessmen, they're school teachers not only going through conversion themselves, but they're so on fire, they're training, they're evangelizing others in the next generation. And then those training, those people to lead others in, in the next generation after, and you're seeing like, you know, you have a, a, a missionary leading this one woman who's leading another woman, who's leading another woman, who's leading, another, and you're seeing like all these small groups transforming parish life. One parish in Chicago, the pastor said, we used to talk about discipleship, but I can tell you now this parish culture has been changed. It's a culture of missionary discipleship where people you're seeing like five generations down of small groups. I mean, wouldn't it be awesome? It's cool when somebody comes to a small group. It's a whole other thing when you get those people to go lead others. That's how Jesus evangelized. We call it the little way of evangelization, not just the big stage, but the little way. In fact, I'll close with this. Seek itself is an amazing event. You've been to Seek, I take it? You've been to one of our conferences? I, I have not, but I have several friends. Well, you're going to experience this. I, I know. And everyone's wow. When you see 15,000 college students fall on their knees before the Blessed Sacrament, 
and then 5,000 go walk out of adoration to go to confession. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's so moving to see that faith. But we in focus, we know that seek is not the main thing. Like we would, you know, if we didn't have seek, we, we'd still be doing the heart of our mission. The reason seek is so amazing and moving and that you see 15,000 people coming together, it's because of all the little work that the missionaries are doing with these college students day in and day out, pouring their lives in small groups, hanging out with them in discipleship and just giving their lives, pouring their lives into the students' lives so that when the missionary says, hey, do you want to go to this thing called seek? The student knows that, well, this missionary didn't, isn't just like my, my teacher, my Bible study leader. He's my friend. And, and because of that investment, then they, they come and they have an amazing experience and they go back and want to lead others. We know that Seek is just like the top of the iceberg. There's so much going on underneath. And that's what needs to happen in our parishes and in our families and in our diocese is we need less up here and we need a lot more going on underneath. But that can only happen if you really adopt the church's vision of making missionary disciples. Well, I am excited. I haven't been to a Seek conference yet. I've seen many things that have, you know, wet my appetite, shall we say, uh, and, and I'm ready, even though we're still packing the boxes here, I'm, I'm ready for it to be January. Dr. Edwards III, I want to thank you for being with us on uh, the show today, and we're praying for the conference. We know you're praying for St. Louis, and I can't wait to see what the Holy Spirit's going to do in just a few short weeks here. Have a, have a wonderful and blessed Advent and a Merry Christmas, and we'll see you in the new year. Thanks so much. God bless. A prayer to Our Lady of Guadalupe. Our Lady of Guadalupe, Mystical Rose, make intercession for Holy Church. Protect the Sovereign Pontiff. Help all those who invoke you in their necessities. And since you are the ever-Virgin Mary and Mother of the True God, obtain for us from your Most Holy Son the grace of keeping our faith, of sweet hope in the midst of the bitterness of life, of burning charity, and the precious gift of final perseverance. Amen. If you're like me, when you take a journey or a trip, you like to look at the route you're going to be taking in advance so you know where you're going. And this Advent, here on the Daily Dose of Encouragement, Patty Schneier is going to help us look ahead at the road of Advent by looking at the O antiphons. Patty, it's so good to have you with us today. Well, I'm excited about this week because I actually had to research this topic. So this is encouraging myself as well as I try to encourage you. And isn't that what most teachers do? You know, you, you have to be able to, to internalize it first. And so today we're going to just talk about what the O antiphons are, what I learned and what I want to share with you. And then each day... For the rest of the week, we'll take two or three at a time. So the Roman Catholic Church has been singing these O antiphons since at least the 8th century. They are the antiphons that accompany the Magnificat Canticle in evening prayer from December 17th through the 23rd. They are a magnificent theology that uses ancient biblical imagery drawn from the messianic hopes of the Old Testament to proclaim the coming Christ as the fulfillment, not only of Old Testament hopes, but present ones as well. So the repeated use of this imperative, this command, come, come, all of them will have the word come somewhere. It embodies this longing of all, all of us that we have for the divine Messiah. So each antiphon has the following structure, and that's what I want to explain, what you find in each O antiphon. First, you're going to have a messianic title, preceded by the word O, like O wisdom, right? O, that's when we sing O come, O come, Emmanuel, O Emmanuel. So there'll be a title. 
The second thing you'll see is an elaboration of that title. Coming forth from the mouth of the Most High or reaching from one end to the other, or mightily and sweetly. All of these things are a little explanation or elaboration of that title. Then you're going to have the verb come. And then finally, you have an elaboration of that request, elaboration of the request to come. Come and what? Come and, for example, teach us the way of prudence. Come and do what, you know, we'll talk about those this week. So my encouragement today is to simply let's pray with the universal church. Let's look up the O antiphons, maybe print them out, maybe bring them to your holy hour. Pray for the world. If you are able, go to an Advent concert where they are sung. And my favorite is the one at our own Kendrick Lennon Seminary, you know, the the O antiphons every night at their Advent novena. So somehow incorporate these O antiphons into your Advent this year. I look forward to the roadmap you're going to provide for us with these O antiphons this week, Patty. Thank you for this daily dose of encouragement. Today is one of my favorite feast days, as Mike Roberts reminded us this morning. It is the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And if you've never taken the time to look up all of the rich symbolism in that image, uh, it's worth taking the time to go online and just do a, a quick Internet search. Find, uh, you know, New Advent's a great resource for that. I'm sure there's some great articles out there on EWTN's website as well. But there's so much great symbolism there. You're not going to regret taking the time to look it up today. But most especially, let's honor Our Lady who converted millions here in the Americas right after, you know, so many left during the Protestant Reformation in Europe. Let's pray that rosary in honor of her today. Let's conclude our show in prayer together in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. St. Joseph, terror of demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are going to be a little different in format for the next few days for our winter mini radiothon here on Covenant Network, but we are going to have some special podcast uploads over the next few days for the Roadmap to Heaven podcast. We hope you'll be tuning in with us either way. Until next time, for Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Do not forget to pray your rosary today.